Hi, I'm Dave Williams. I recently retired from radio after 54 years in the business, beginning when I was 17, and I had a remarkable career. And I say that not because of any personal success, but rather because I have worked with and gotten to know some remarkable people. Over half a century or so, I've learned that the most successful radio managers have a few things in common. Exceptional creative intellect and passion, the ability to surround themselves with great people, and tremendous personal warmth. These are people who light up a room and do so with quiet grace and humility. And that's as good a way as any to introduce my conversation guest today, a man whose name is synonymous with legendary station... Music Radio WL Chicago. John Guerin, what a uh, pleasure and an honor to talk with you. We met a couple of times in passing when I was in Chicago for a short time, about 11 or 12 years ago. But yours is a name that I've known for a very long time because you are, as they say, uh, a legend in, in the business, from uh, programming to general management to executive positions. And uh, you've just done it all. You've done it all very successfully, and you've met in, uh, uh, a lot of terrific people along the way. So thank you for your time today. Well, my pleasure. You know, I might have been a good disc jockey if I had your voice, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was back in the day when that mattered, I suppose. You started off where I wanted to start because I look at your resume and I see, you know, I see uh, you did uh, you start. It said I saw one uh, website that said you started out as a program director in Philadelphia. And I went, really? You started out as a program director? But I'm suspecting that there was some on-air work that preceded that maybe along the way as well. Well, when I was in college, I, I helped pay most of my uh, tuition by uh, working at local radio stations around Penn State and State College. And I thought I re- really had made it big when I got a job on weekends over at WFBG in, in Altoona, which was at that time the big top 40 station. Sure. So I thought, boy, that's great. But then I quickly realized this? that. What was the year? What? what year? Oh, that was in uh, probably, six, let's see, 66. Okay. And then uh, I thought I'd made it big. And then I realized after a while that I probably wasn't going to be that good of a disc jockey. And I should probably focus on programming and and management. And uh, and that's when I got a job at uh, Triangle Publications in Philadelphia, which was the company that owned TV Guide and WFIL, AM, FM, TV, and some stations around the country. And uh, got got a nice break there doing production at WFILFM and working with the AM disc jockeys. And then, yes, I did get the, a chance to beat my first programming job was at CAUFM across the street from WFIL when uh, CBS decided to start to do something with their stations instead of just running tapes. And that was an FM station, you said? Yeah, an FM station. Uh, you know, we did an oldies format, which was yeah. the first major market oldies format. And of course, I I only had an AM radio in my car, so I had to go out and get one of those little <laughs> FM converters that right. you put under the dashboard and turn your AM radio to sixteen hundred, and I could listen to my radio station. <laughs> well, that was that was essentially when people were just starting to turn on to to FM, right? But uh, you, you know, know it, it was it was you know you know the FCC had said you know you 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 could only uh, 
simulcast, I think, 25% of the time. And so all of a sudden, people had to do something. Right. And uh, and it was great because MMR was doing the, uh, I think the Marconi experiment was what they called it. And they were trying something new. And, and everybody was just throwing things on FM to see what would stick. And, uh, and we did an oldies format. Um, like I say, it was first major market oldies format. And, uh, and it did extremely well with a very poor automation system. But I learned something is that if you have something that people want to hear, they'll, they'll put up with a lot to listen to it because, uh, you know, like I say, it was an automation system that didn't always function the way it was supposed to, but it got the job done. So you moved, as I understand it, you moved from Philadelphia to Chicago. No, I uh, it went it went really well in Philadelphia, and uh, and so they asked me to go. Oh, to you CBS went to New York, FM. didn't? I went to CBS FM in New York and put yeah. the oldies format on there, and uh, and again that did extremely well because uh, again, you know, this is in the '60s, so and early '70s, so the format was really a 25, 34-year-old format. Right. Uh, it wasn't an old format like it is now. Yeah. Um, uh, because, you know, the music hadn't been around that long, you know. So we yes. played a lot of the 50s and obviously the 60s and, and into the 70s. But um, but that went well. And, and then, uh, you know, I got a chance to meet Rick Sklar. He mm-hmm. approached me after a couple of years when the opportunity at WLS opened up. And he asked me to come over and... He had this sheet of paper with all the formatics across the top, time, temperature, and all that stuff. And he says, "Kid, you're really doing it right over there." You're, you, you know. And he he had this. He had marked everything down that I was doing. And of course, frankly, I learned a lot of that by listening to WABC. Um, <laughs> and so he recommended me for the job to Marty Greenberg at WLS, and and that's how I got there. WLS Music Radio, probably. Now, look, I am from the West Coast, and I haven't worked any farther east than Chicago, and I was only there for three months. But as you know, my my knowledge of, uh, of uh, contemporary radio is pretty vast. I've been in the business for a very long time. WLS, as far as I can understand, is probably reputed to be one of, if not the number one music station in the history of the business. And you were running it at the time. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, there were three big radio stations that influenced music in America. One obviously was WABC in the East Coast, WLS in, in the in the Midwest, and, and in KHJ in, in LA. But the magic of WLS was being in the middle of the country with 50,000 watts. Um, you, you know, we went all over the place. And, uh, you know, we did a survey one time. We had Arbitron go through all the diaries. And uh, and it came up with we had five million seven five million seven hundred thousand listeners uh, over a period of a week because of the sky wave at night. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember driving across the Golden Gate Bridge on vacation, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm I have a rental car and I check out WLS and and Landecker was on and he was kind <laughs> of doing some things that he knew I was out of town. <laughs> so. Uh, so, you know, I get back, this is before cell phones. So I get back to, to the hotel and I call him in the hotline and, and he was kind of surprised that I could hear him out there on the West coast. That's great. Those were the days that was before you even program directors could even dial in and listen on the phone. Right. You either That's had right. to hear it. You had to hear it or you didn't hear it. All right. So, um, you know, I want to talk to you about, about, uh, 
your perceptions of formats and the people that do the do the on-air work. Um, uh, I kind of like to talk a little bit about the craft itself, because as I once heard it described, he said all the top 40 stations in the country, and this is a number of years ago, but everybody's playing the same records. It's like, it's like hamburger stands. Everybody serves hamburgers and cheeseburgers and French fries and soft drinks. But the, the key to success is the way that you present it, the presentation and of course the product itself. But, um, you know, in those days, there was an awful lot of, uh, of, uh, variation in the presentation of the music. How do you decide to narrow it down? And, uh, you know, how do, how do you judge what your audience is going to be interested in? Well, I think, uh, you know, it was all about localism. And we, we talk about it now, but back in the day, I mean, it was localism. I mean, we did a lot of surveying of what music people wanted to hear in our market in Chicago. We called over 100 record stores a, a week in the beginning, and then we got into call-out research. So we knew what the Midwest wanted to hear. And it was different from the East Coast and it was different than the West Coast. There were musical differences. I always call it, we played a lot of hair band music because, you know, that's, that's what the Midwest wanted. That's what they liked. Um, and the same thing with talent. Talent was crucial. I mean, I can remember listening as a kid to WLS, uh, back when Dick Biondi was on and, uh, and I would tune in every night from Pennsylvania and, and t- just to hear what Dick was doing. Obviously, I liked the music, but I liked what Dick Biondi was doing. And, and he was a draw. And I think that over time, we've gotten away from the music that fits the market. Uh, a lot of it's being done by, you know, corporate heads looking at, you know, coming up with the playlist for everybody. Right. And we also got away with got away from the personalities you know i used to you know when i was you know at american radio systems and and then when cbs bought us you know i was head of programming for all the stations and and i'd make the rounds and i say to the pds i say if all you're going to do is let the jocks read liner cards three or four times an hour then what's the point yeah and i think we got a wave you know to play more music and a part of it was the uh you know, going to the, uh, you know, getting away from the diary and going to the meters, because obviously when we were talking and not playing music, uh, the meters didn't record as, as, uh, as high a listening level. Um, and I think we, we got probably too sterile on the air. And I think we're starting to realize that, you know, what we, the advantage we have today is we're local. And in a lot of cities, there's not a, a daily newspaper anymore. In a lot of smaller markets, they don't have a TV station. So what's on 24-7? It's your local radio station. Yeah. And number two is, you know, back to the personalities. If everybody has the same music, including all the digital music services, um, you know, what sets us apart? Right. And it's the personalities. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, you got music in two places. You got it at the record store and on the radio. Now you get music everywhere. Right. So, so what sets us apart? It's the personalities. Well, you know, I've, uh, there's another thing that uh, I've been aware of for a very long time, far long, longer than uh, I was uh, ever arrived in Chicago, and that was that Chicago, uh, of all the markets in America, probably has the best reputation in terms of being able to program local radio stations, even in a major, major market. You know, uh, WGN 
was was world famous for doing small town stuff in a huge city, not only getting away with it, but being very, very successful at it. And I suspect some of that has to do with people of that part of the country in the Midwest. What do you think? No, absolutely. I think people, you know, there, there's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there, There's a camaraderie in the Midwest. People are nice in the Midwest. They go out of their way to help people in the Midwest. And I, and I think that transfers over to what they expect from a radio station. They expect it to be their partner. They expect it to be their friend. And you use, you know, you listen to WGN and what they're doing even today. Um, they're the hometown radio station. You want to know what's going on uh, and you want to talk about it. WGN is probably one of the best places to go for it. I don't suppose we have to talk a lot about what happened to music radio. It was simply a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the transition uh, tech uh, technology that uh, made it possible, you know, for it's like, what do I need a radio station for? I've got 6,000 records right here, 6,000 songs that I program. If, if, if the personality is not a personality and it's just going to read liner cards, as you said. Yes. And uh, I, I was a little bit surprised when the technology shifted that way, that there weren't more stations going back to, being a little bit, uh, a little bit loosey goosey, letting people have the, have a little bit of uh, fun along the way. Well, I, I think part of it was, uh, you know, what happened, you know, with the uh, uh, finances of of, of of broadcast radio. Uh, you know, the debt got so high, and I think you know people started to cut back and uh, and look for ways of of running the operations cheaper because of of the debt we all got in trouble with. Uh, and I think that hurt the industry a lot. Um, but what's interesting, you know, you just said, you know, loosey goosey and trying some things. I think that prices have come down on radio stations dramatically. And it's getting to the point where, you know, before, if you had a hundred million dollar FM station, you weren't going to fool around with it too much right. because you had a lot at stake. But now if that hundred million dollar radio stations worth $10 million or even less, you know, maybe somebody can buy it and and have some fun with it. Right. And so I think that we may start to see more experimentation, kind of like it was in the 60s when you had nothing to lose. You had to do something on your FM station or lose the license. So you just started throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. And I'm sure there's some formats and ideas out there that, uh, you know, that somebody could come up with and and say, I'm going to put this on the radio and see what happens because right. I can afford to buy it because the prices are down. Well, yeah, uh, what you just said reminds me of what I've been hearing from other people, uh, Tom Langmeyer and uh, uh, Jack Swanson and other people that I've been talking with saying essentially the same thing. It's like, you know what, there's still a future radio for radio, uh, especially in smaller markets because of that that community aspect and very often the guy that's on the air in the middle of the afternoon is a buddy of yours you know so um what what goes around gets around but what about the technology itself is is the is the industry as we know it going to die off or is it going to move on to some other platform uh it's hard to say i'm certainly not the best person to try and predict the future but uh you know, clearly it's important for radio to be everywhere and be on all the devices where the listeners are. Uh, at the same time, 
there's a certain magic about the over-the-air signal. Number one, it's free. Uh, and number two is you don't have to worry about getting so many listeners that that the you overload the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody can listen at the same time. And and uh, and so you can have very large audiences, uh, you know, without worrying about overloading the system. The other thing that I'm I'm uh, having interesting conversations with people about is uh, uh, back in the day. And I don't remember how long ago that was because it wasn't very long ago that I was told and heard this for the first time. And I'm talking within the last few weeks where I said, well, they, you know, but uh, but radio does what what radio does best by being live and local. And uh, my good, very good friend said, well, it used to be that was what people wanted was live and local. But now people are more interested in on demand than live and local. And to me, that just still really doesn't register because you're right. There is there is something special about listening as as it's happening. You know, it's yeah, listening it's, as a community, listening as a community. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's like watching a football game that you've recorded versus watching one while it's playing. And, you know, you hear, you hear the disc jockeys or whoever is on the air making references to what's going on in, the, in, in your world right now. They're talking about the weather. They're talking about a big event coming up or one that just passed and all of these things that you can relate to that you can't relate to on a, um, a podcast or an internet radio. Exactly. Again, radio is immediate and it's and it's now. Speaking of internet, internet radio, aren't you involved in that now somehow? I've been helping Kurt Hansen uh, for years with AccuRadio. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting because I have a foot in what's going on in the digital side and 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 how that can, you know, what's making that grow, what's what's good about it, what's not good about it. And at the same time, I'm still involved with radio because I'm part of a group that owns radio stations in San Diego. So uh, so, I'm you know, I've got a foot in both camps so I can kind of get a sense of where things are going. What would you say to somebody who who expressed a young person who expressed an interest in getting into radio or what at least what we call radio? Somebody who wants to say, I, I think I should do podcasts or I think I, I could uh, play music and and tell people a lot about the music and stuff, which I don't hear on radio even anymore. You know, somebody who wants to be an on air personality, essentially, uh, starting here in the 21st century. What do you tell them? I think there are lots of opportunities. Um, again, we, the business needs personalities. It needs people that know how to connect with people. And uh, not everybody can do that. Uh, and if you have that ability, I think there's an, uh, I think there are still many strong opportunities for people in broadcasting. Uh, and if, if anything, the jobs have gotten more interesting over time because, you know, before you just used to, you know, is a program director, look at the music, talk to the disc jockeys. I mean, not that it was a simple job, but it's not as complicated as it is now. And so you get involved in many more things at, at a much higher level than we did in the past. So I think the jobs can be, can be tougher, but also I think they can be more rewarding. Isn't it tougher also, though, to learn your craft 
than it used to be when we started off at small town stations and they were everywhere. And you had people who had been working at that station for maybe a year. So he was the big grizzled veteran, you know, he was the program director. And then the program director moves on and calls you and says, let's go to this bigger market together. And you're listening to other stations in various markets. And I, and one of my fondest memories in my career is when I was 18 years old, getting off the air and they had to throw me out of the radio station. So some of the other disc jockeys and I would get together in somebody's apartment and uh, and listen to air checks from other markets and so forth. That's where we did our learning and we and we taught each other. And I don't know how people can do that now. Well, it's certainly it's more difficult. You know, it's interesting. I remember I went to my first uh, uh convention and i think it was a gavin convention and uh and i i don't even remember where i was what radio station but i'm sitting in this meeting and they're talking about counter programming and it was kya talking about how they were counter programming kfrc you know when kfrc was in commercial breaks they tried to be in music and i'm thinking wow i never heard of that before and so i you know i think that you know, you learn on the job, but at the same time, I think there are many opportunities for you to, you know, to go to conventions and 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 opportunities to hear what other people are doing. And like you're doing a this this, you know, podcast right now uh, on Zoom, you know, people, hopefully if they hear this, maybe they'll pick up something and learn something and and it will help them in their career. Yeah, well, I think you're right. Plus, the fact is that. You know, not only the technology, but the business itself, as true with all businesses, they all they all evolve, right? Things change over time. Let's talk for a moment about uh, uh, corporations and uh, the uh, deregulation that uh, turned everybody into. As I said before, I I worked uh, for RKO when it was the biggest radio corporation in the world, and they had thirteen stations. Right <laughs> now. Uh, you know, every corporation has 400 of them, and uh, that's where they're having all kinds of uh, financial problems and so forth. But I suspect, too, and I think you hinted at it a little earlier, that that's where a lot of decisions are coming from, from a corporate headquarters that has no involvement with your particular town. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought at the beginning that uh, consolidation was good because it was a way to right. you know, get people more involved, give people bigger jobs, uh, bring more resources, uh, you know, spread the talent over, over more properties and so on. And, and that w- it did work that way for quite a while. When I was at American radio, we put on a lot of new formats. We, you know, we built up radio stations. We built great clusters, you know, built out new studios and everything. I mean, that was, that's the way it was supposed to work, but it's, it's at some point, um, the debt got ahead of us, and uh, and so suddenly, what was supposed to be a growth opportunity turned into a way to start to cut and and use people more efficiently and 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 over more radio stations so that you didn't have as many people there and so on, and that, so the cutting started, and I think that's when we got in trouble. And you got program directors now who are in charge of programming three or four stations at one yeah. time in different formats. Yeah. It's not possible to give uh, give your all to them, I guess. 
Well, I remember at WLS. I mean, I used to listen to WLS, you know, obviously all the time. And I listened to CFL, to, you know, to see what they were doing. And, and, and that's where all my focus was. And then suddenly I, I got, you know, ABC gave me WLS FM. And so now I'm listening to each one half as much as I listened to one at one time. And so you, it, it does make it harder and you're not giving it that attention. And if you're in a very competitive situation, right. you need to have that attention. Well, especially if you're essentially competing with yourself. Yes. Two different radio stations, right? Okay. I don't, I don't, this is, this is probably a horrible thing to ask, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I but you're going to ask it anyway. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask it anyway, but I, I, that's because I have faith that you can, you can schmooze the answer a little bit so that it works out for both of us. Uh, I just, I just uh, know some of the names of the people that you've worked with in the past, primarily the air talent, but also people in management, other programmers and so forth in your career, in your, uh, how long have you been in the business? It's got to be 67, 60, 70 years almost. I well, I you know I got I got my first paying job in radio um, in 1966. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Somebody else can do the math. It's a yeah. long time. You've known a lot of people, um, and I'm not going to ask you for your favorites, you know. But maybe you can just maybe you can just talk a little bit about uh, some of the people that uh, that you always uh, that you always come back to when you think about what. What a great person that was. What a smart person that who how a person who really influenced you. Uh, you know, in each of the stations I've been at, uh, there were people that that influenced me. I remember when I was at WFIL, uh, Jay Cook was, you know, who was program director at the time, was just a terrific person, not only a personality on the air, but a, a terrific people person as a program director. And, uh, you know, Long John Wade, I mean, all those people at WFIL were, were terrific. Dr. Don Rose became a good friend. He was a uh, Oh, just wonderful. Uh, And then I went to CBS FM and I got to work with Bill Brown, uh, you know, who was already on the station and and just was a terrific pro and really set the bar for all the people that I brought in as we were changing format and, and, and adjusting the format. And, and he was, he was a terrific talent, uh, right up until when he retired. Um, and, you know, then I got to WLS and, uh, and, and that, those people, obviously Lou Jack and Landecker and Fred Winston and Tommy Edwards, uh, you know, Jeff Davis. I mean, I, I'm going to forget some people because they all were wonderful again in their own way. And, and what was great at WLS was they all weren't the same. They each had what they did on the air that distinguished them from the others. Landecker didn't sound like Lou Jack. Tommy Edwards didn't sound like Bob Surratt. They all ha- brought something unique to their shows. And, and my feeling was as a program director was I'm not going to over over manage them i'm going to give them a map and say i want you to go from here to here essentially with my format you have a lot of flexibility in how to decide to get to the end yeah. because that's why you're here because you do you do things unique and different and you're a personality you're not like somebody else and you're not cookie cutter and so you get- know I've, yeah so i've learned from people all the way i mean at uh you know at american radio systems you know steve dodge who who built the company was phenomenal. I worked with Dave Perlman 
and uh, and then Don Belukas came on, who had been general manager of WLS back when I was program director, and then went to New York, and then uh, you know we hired him at American Radio Systems as we were growing. So there have been people all along the way, uh, you know that that have been that have helped me um, and and taught me. Yeah, and you pass that on. Don't you feel kind of? I know I have a, a kind of a a real drive to be able to pass along that information to anybody who's interested in hearing it. Although, like I say, I have been sitting in newsrooms for the last 40 years, and uh, it used to be in those uh, at the beginning where people in news writing and reporting business would compare notes and talk about how to present a particular story and that sort of thing and trade copy and say, look, let me, I think you could probably take these lines out and make it a little bit tighter and you could do that. But you don't hear those conversations anymore. You just don't. Uh, when I arrived in Dallas, I walked into the newsroom and I started talking to people. I said, hey, let's talk about the craft. I mean, tell me how you do things here. Tell me what I should be looking for and stuff. And the people look at me like I was from Mars. Hmm. Now, who's this guy? What is he talking about? We're just all kind of uh, filling spaces yeah. here. So that's lost, I think. One of the things I loved the most was at American Radio Systems and then at CBS when when Dan Maisman asked me to be you know head of programming was I felt like Johnny Appleseed. I didn't go to the stations to tell them what to do. I was there to to have a conversation with them about what they were doing, why they were doing it, and and you know here are some ideas that you might find useful that yeah. some of our other stations are doing, and 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 that was great. And by the way, Dan was Dan Mason was just one of the most wonderful people to work for. So, you know, add him to that list of people that influenced me. Uh, By the way, I have a funny story to tell about, you know, CBS bought American radio. And so we're having this meeting and we're in this meeting with Dan, uh, all of our management from American radio. And Dan says, John, I want to show you something I have in my wallet. And he pulls out this little packet and he unfolds it and he says, you sent me a rejection letter when I applied at WLS. And I thought, OK, that's it. I, I lost my job. And he says, you were one of the few people that ever replied to me and gave yes. me encouragement to keep doing what I was doing, even though I wasn't ready for WLS. And yeah. and, and that's the way I kind of tried to operate. Boy, that is I'm so glad you brought that up. That's something that uh, my my last uh, partner and I, Amy Shadroff, and I used to talk about a lot. Just like these days, and I'm sure this isn't just with radio, but it certainly is true with radio. You to apply for a job, you have to go online, you have to fill out a form, you hit submit, and you have no idea if anybody ever even looks at it. You assume somebody does but you don't hear back one way or the other. And when I was a program director, a couple of stations, I considered it part of my day to part of my job was to respond to those people who have applied. Thank you so much for your interest and so forth. And so you sound terrific. I hope you'll keep learning. Feel free to contact me if you have, you know, on and on and on. And then say, you know, we don't have anything available right now or, you know, whatever, reach out and make a little contact and give these people a little bit of, encouragement that's completely yes. gone and as, as i say it's not just radio is it it's an and it seems to be in every business yeah again I, I, when i was trying to become a disc jockey i was sending tapes out as i was getting ready to graduate from college and i never heard from anybody and i thought 
I'm never going to do that if I'm ever in that kind of a position. And so when I was at WLS, I would, you know, like every other week, I just shut my door and I listened to every tape that had come in in those two weeks and, and write something back to the people and, uh, and let them know I listened and I try and give them a little thought so that they knew I listened and, and was serious about it. Well, you're one of the good guys and one of the most successful. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I really don't. <laughs> All the people I've known in this business and elsewhere. I'm going to let you go, John. I got no, I know you have other things that you need to do today. And, and frankly, so do I. But what a great treat this was to talk with you. I really do appreciate your time. And vice versa. It was a thrill working for you in Chicago for that period, as short as it was. So that's great to see you again. I love that city. I it still hurts to have to have had to leave when I did. Yes, all that, but uh, you know, I mean, that is just one of the greatest cities in the world, bar none. And uh, I wish you lots of luck with your winter that's just getting started. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's <laughs> snowing out there, out there right now here. So th- again, thanks for including me in what you're doing. I'll let you know when this is up. All right, thanks a Thank lot. Thank you, John. Bye. Okay, Dave. Bye. <laughs> 